Good morning. Let me invite you to open your Bibles now to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Today I'm going to read verses 8 through 21, but we will focus our attention only on one verse, which is verse 14. But I wanted you to catch verse 14 in its setting, so I will read uh, the entire passage. Here now, the word of the living God. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's word. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for uh, what we're celebrating today, which is the reality of the incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do pray that as uh, the sermon is preached, that your spirit would work in our hearts in such a way that we won't be the same when we leave as we were when we got here. And we know that that can only come by your power. So empower both the one who speaks and the ones who listens for your glory. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Two women were shopping and they were walking down a sidewalk in a pretty good-sized city, and they looked in one of the display windows to a store they were about to enter, and they saw a manger scene or a crèche. And both looked at it, almost appalled, and looked at one another and says, Look at this. The church is horning in on Christmas. Will they never stop? Somebody always calls the office around Christmas time, especially when Christmas is on a Sunday, and says, are you going to be closed this Sunday? 
this is our day. This is our raison d'etre. This is our reason for being. Three things I want to talk about in verse 14, and we'll do that pretty rapidly. If you listen fast, we'll be out of here, and you can go on to other things. We want to talk about glory. We want to talk about peace, and we want to talk about favor or grace. Those are three major themes that I see in verse 14. The surprising appearance of the angels is significant in this text. Anytime uh, angels show up in the Bible, something big is happening. The angels, of course, were there in the creation and witnessed it. The angels were on the mountain at the giving of the law to Moses. Uh, and so the angels will, at the second coming, be with Jesus as he comes with the heavenly host uh, to bring uh, redemption in all of its fullness. But one thing that's important to keep in mind because of cultural distance between us and the first century is that in the Mediterranean world, the birthday of a ruler is celebrated with a proclamation of the benefits of that leader's birth. In biblical literature, heavenly choirs celebrate future events as though they were already fact. Here in verse 14, the one who has fulfilled the ancient hopes expressed in God's prophetic word is acclaimed as the one whose birth will bring glory to God, peace on earth, and favor on those with whom he is well pleased. Jesus' birth, therefore, is a proclamation of his benefits, and we see that clearly here. But the scandal of the gospel is to whom this announcement is made. Where would you expect God to announce this? Certainly at the temple in Jerusalem, if nowhere else, right? Wouldn't one think that would be the obvious place to signal this huge event that's about to occur? or perhaps in the courts of the Roman rule and oppression over Israel, that the announcement would have been made there. But no, it's made to shepherds. And if you read the quote in your bulletin, you understand why this is so significant and yet a little bit scandalous to us. The shepherds were chosen alone, Luke here alone among the gospel writers, including them in his book, and I'm just going to share the quote with you. Shepherds were outcast, and thus their presence at the manger shows that salvation is for everyone. We tend to romanticize the shepherds, especially since there are so many good shepherds in the Bible, but they did not enjoy a very good reputation, uh, especially in their day, day. Because they lived out in the fields, they were regarded as unclean. They were unable to keep of the ceremonial law, and thus were people you stayed away from, not people who you uh, ran to. They also were regarded pretty much, if you were a shepherd and you were talking, you were lying because they were liars and thieves among the lowest class of the people of Israel. Only one person was lower and more unclean than a shepherd, and that would have been a leper. So this is to whom this announcement is made. Yet these were the men that God wanted to hear the gospel, the good news, working class sinners. That is who 
the announcement was made to. Like everything else about the birth of Christ, this upsets our expectations. We tend to think that God is for good people. He's not for sinners. He's for good people. When in fact, the people whom Jesus spent the most of his time with were scandalous people. And Luke emphasizes that throughout his gospel. I preached through Luke, I don't know how many years ago. Would love to do it again if I live long enough. But the wonderful thing about Luke's gospel is just full of surprises as to whom this message goes and who are highlighted. Uh, you can remember mo uh, one great theme of Luke's gospel is the unexpected grace to people who we would not consider candidates for it. Mary sang in her Magnificat, Jesus came to bring down thrones of the mighty and exalt those who are of humble estate. Who better than lowly shepherds? We don't even know what their names were. They're not given. But God had grace for them, and he will have grace for you if you come to him. You know, often I talk to people about the gospel, and they look at me and they say, well, pastor, you know, I just don't have any faith. I say, I know. You don't. I understand that. You don't have faith. Nobody's got faith. Faith is a gift of God. It's a gift of grace. So I always tell people when I'm talking to them, I'll say this. You trust in what you know and understand and believe, but here's what faith is. Faith is a gift of God. If you don't have it, ask God for it. He'll give it to you. He will most certainly answer that prayer. And if you're a person and you're here and you're a doubter, don't be too troubled about doubts. We all have our doubts. We all have our struggles because we're weak, sinful people, and we're finite in what we know and understand, and our own desires twist our hearts into what we believe, but we need the gift of faith and repentance to know God. And so here we see it uh, originally in this message. Now, I want to talk for a moment about the Gloria in excelsis Deo, that is glory to God in the highest. Now, understand the setting here. Myriads of angels. I'm not talking about one. I'm talking about thousands. The Lord of hosts appeared to these men out in the fields. And they, there's nowhere in the Bible, sorry, it's going to mess up for everybody, Nowhere in the Bible does it say that angels ever sing. It says they praise God. We know that they speak. I do believe that they sing, but I don't have biblical support for it. But apparently here they gave great praise and glory to God for what was happening. Do you know that that is what you were made for that's how God created you. That's how he shaped your heart. That's how he's made you. He's made you to be a, a, a person, a creature who gives him praise and glory. We praise that which we value most. We give glory to that which impresses us the most. Now, we do it all the time in common life. If you're a person who likes concerts and you go see your favorite artist in concert and you are absolutely moved by the performance and you stand and applaud and you ask for an encore 25 times and, and they do the encore, you know what you're doing? 
You're exalting those musicians. You're giving them praise. You're, you're speaking of their glory, how glorious it was. Or football game, where 22 men desperately in need of rest are being watched by 80,000 people desperately in need of exercise. That's your average football game. But what do you do when your favorite team scores or your quarterback makes a great play or a defensive linebacker breaks through and sacks the quarterback? You jump to your feet. You yell. You cheer. Why? Because you value that. It means something to you. We were made, Westminster Confession, question one says, what is the chief end of man? What is our reason for being? Why were we made? Why were we created? to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is true happiness in the soul of a person who understands that. There's just something right about coming together with God's people and singing praise to him and worshiping him and giving him glory. As one particular theologian I read said, he said, we were not made to make much of ourselves. We were made to make much of our God. How about you? Your presence here on Christmas Day seems to indicate the latter, that you want to make much of God. You want glory in the Bible is the Hebrew word kabod, which means heaviness, weightiness, something of substance. In the New Testament, it's doxa, for which we get the word doxology, and it is something praiseworthy. So let me ask you today, is that true of your life? Is this how you live your life? Do you give glory to God, or rather, are you seeking your own glory? Because the way to be miserable in this life, I'm going to give you the formula for it. Just live for yourself. Be your own selfish pig. Yes, I said that because I understand that about my own heart. It's so easy. Doing what comes natural for me, don't know about you, is just to be selfish, to have everything turned in upon me. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ is heard with the ears of faith, it turns us inside out. We begin to live for Christ, and we begin to live to serve other people. The most miserable person you can be in the world is to be turned in on yourself. That's misery. Do you know that misery? I do. I do. I fight it every day. You usually lose. No, sometimes God's, God breaks through and shows me. But I have learned more and more every day to spend time praising and glorifying God. You let me give you a should. Some of you say, I don't say should enough. But here's a should for you. You should read the Psalms every day. That is the worship book of the people of God, and it's filled with praise to get you out of yourself. You should spend the first few minutes of your prayer life, if it lasts a minute, to, I don't be cynical, but as we pray in our prayer life, spend the first several minutes just looking at the attributes, the nature, the character of God, the trinity of God, and give him praise. That will change you more than anything else. And that's what the shepherds heard the angels in heaven doing. 
And the only way that you will ever give God praise is believe the gospel. Here in Luke's gospel, we don't see praise arising from people up to God to give him glory for the birth of Christ. Rather, we see angels coming down from heaven who marvel over the salvation of God's people, who marvel over the grace of God. Do you do that? Is that part of your heart and your day? Imagine what joy they must have experienced praising God and hearing that praise from the angelic choir. But there's a second thing that happened here. The angel said something. Not only did they give praise to God, but they said glory to God in the highest, peace among those with whom he's pleased. The second thing the angel, now every imperial, kingly person who was ever born promised that in their administration there would be what? Peace. Also in every beauty pageant I've ever seen, when they questioned the, the girls, and what do they want? World peace. Now, is that bad? No. That's not bad. I, I'm all for people who want world peace. I'm all for people who want any kind of peace. I, I crave peace. I hate conflict. I hate war. I hate tension. I hate controversy. And I would love to see peace. But the angels promised from the word that peace would come by virtue of this child. For the Caesars, whether it was Caesar Augustus or others, they always spoke of the Pax Romana, that is the peace of Rome. Nations would be subjugated and plunders, people uh, enslaved, the poor oppressed. There was peace and prosperity for some, fear and poverty for others under Roman rule. For Caesar only gave peace as long as it was consistent with the interest of the empires, his empire, and the myth of his glory. By the way, I had no idea until I've traveled some how huge the Roman Empire was and how huge their influence was in that part of the world. It's huge. And here's a little upstart baby born in a cattle trough. <laughs> And the angels are saying, he's bringing peace, man. He's going to bring peace. I grew up during the hippie era, right? You remember that? The sign of peace. We didn't do any better than anybody else at making it happen. We thought we would. That's what Woodstock was all about, right? But the kind of peace that Jesus is going to bring is best captured by the Hebrew word for peace, which is what? Shalom. And if you're from the South, it's shalom, y'all. <laughs> but shalom, that's peace. Somebody last night was here from Alabama, and they said, you know, Pastor, I love being here for one reason. Okay, what? I love your accent. I said, but that's because you don't have to have a translator, right? You can hear it, and you know what I'm saying. And they laughed and said, yeah, that's what we liked. But far from that, this meant shalom means total peace for the whole person. But not just for the person, for all of creation. It is a condition of ultimate well-being. Do you know peace in your heart? Or are you conflicted all of the time? Are you stressed out? 
Are you always in knots over something? Do you understand the beauty and joy of the sweet peace of Jesus? Is it real for you? Does it happen for you uh, often where you have that sense of peace of heart? And so the rest of the soul, have you stopped striving and struggling to get God's attention, to get him to like you, to get him to accept you, to get him to favor you, to get him to be pleased with you? Ultimately, you understand that Jesus accomplished that for us, and we can rest, and we can have peace. And that is precisely the peace that Jesus came to give us is first peace with God by paying the penalty that our sins deserve. You know what's wrong with most people? They're not at peace with God. And you can say, oh, well, there's lots of other things that could be wrong with people worse than that. No, there's not. Since God gave you your life, since you're going to meet him when you die, not being at peace with him is a major stressor in your life, more than you know. It affects more than you know. It affects everything you do. Because if you're not right with him, you're not right with anything else in his world. And so the purpose of Jesus' coming is to bring peace. He accomplished the tearing down of all the walls between people, but also the ultimate obstacle of our sin before God. He took it upon himself, and he dealt with it. He made peace by the blood of his cross. When you look at the crucifixion and you look at Jesus nailed to that cross, shedding his blood, you are seeing what peace cost. We didn't pay it. He paid it. We receive it as we receive him. We get the whole Jesus, and we get the peace that he brings. And ultimately, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we learn to be at peace with one another, to be at peace in human relationships, to be uh, at peace even though our life circumstances are anything but peace. They are calamities. There are trials. There are difficulties. There is disorder. There is strife. But Jesus gives us, at the core, a peace that passes understanding. And this peace, however, is not for everyone, but only for the people whom God is pleased to bless. Now, I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial to some of you, but if you'll notice our verse says, with whom he is well pleased, he's talking about those whom God has set his love on before all eternity, those whom he gave the Son to redeem the bride of Christ, how do you know whether you're one of those or not? Do I lift up your shirt and you got a mark on your back? No. Everybody that repents and believes are people, after hearing the gospel of Jesus, are people with whom God is pleased. Why? Because Jesus has accomplished our redemption. But it's for those Oddly enough, the ones with whom God is well pleased have done nothing to make him pleased with them. The ones with whom God is well pleased, upon whom his favor rests, are the ones whom God has given the gift of faith to, who is drawn to himself, and it's just such a wonderful truth. We know that uh, from the Bible that it's very clear 
that these words have often been misunderstood. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. When literally translated, their meaning becomes clear. And on earth, peace among men of his good pleasure. The angels are not giving these shepherds a moral lecture. Pull up your socks, shepherds. You need to get your life in order. You need to do better. You need to straighten up. You need to quit lying. You need to quit cheating people. You need to quit being such hard-hearted, evil people. You need to do better. God's not pleased with you. You need to try harder. Maybe then, and only then, you will experience shalom. No, those words, with whom he is well pleased, really means those who are the recipients of God's gracious favor. That's what the announcement is. Who's going to have peace? Who's going to give glory to God? Who's going to live for God? Who's going to uh, live real life, not fake life, but real life? Who's going to do that? The ones whom God's favor rests upon. And who is grace for? It's for everyone. See, a lot of people get upset about the scandal of particularity with Christianity. Here's what they say. You know, for you Christians to claim that Jesus is the only way is a very, very narrow viewpoint. As a matter of fact, it upsets me. It's very uh, chauvinistic in a religious way. How can you claim that? And so I would say to that person, well, look at all the religions of the world. Let's look at all of them. How do they tell you you are to receive the favor of your God. Well, it's by following the teachings of the religion. It's by doing the commandments. And by doing these commandments, then you earn or you receive, you achieve, you accomplish a relationship with your God. And so anyone who fulfills those steps are included. How, how exclusive can you be Mr. Christian, they might say. And I would say, well, while Christianity is exclusive, it's only by Jesus, it's incredibly inclusive. Why? Because you're saved by grace, not by what you do. How inclusive can you get? There's no steps to go through. There's no ladders to climb. There's no moral virtue to seek apart from Christ. It's all a gift. It's not a reward for working. It's not a paycheck at the end of the week. No, it's God's goodness poured out upon us as we are in our sins. And so when the angels announce this announcement, which is also connected to the Magnificat, which is also connected to the rest of Luke's gospel, we're going to see the gospel work its way out through Luke's writings. His second volume, Acts, we even see it work out that way. But the most marvelous thing in the world is the favor of God, while is an incredibly exclusive that it's only through Jesus you're saved. He's the only one who bore your sins in his body. He's the only one who obeyed the law on your behalf. He took the punishment your sins, your, your sins deserved by breaking his commandments. He rendered obedience that your life must have in order to have the righteousness to be in a holy God's presence. And he gives it to you through the empty hand of trust. Have you had the joy of receiving Christ? Have you? Do you know what it means to live for his glory? 
Do you experience in the depths of your being peace? And number three, have you tasted the goodness or grace of God, as was mentioned earlier, and seen that it is good? So Christmas is the best day of all to think about glory, peace, and favor. Let us pray. Perhaps some of you this morning have never really heard this message, and perhaps you're saying to yourself, I'm kind of interested in talking more, or maybe I'm even at the point where, Pastor, what do I do? Well, you do something called prayer, which is basically having a conversation with God. Uh, and so you this morning can simply say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm separated from you by my own life, my sin, my lifestyle. I don't have any sense of living for your glory. I'm all caught up in me. I don't have any sense of peace. All I feel is strife and distress and uh, not a sense of well-being at all, a sense of doom, as it were. And uh, I want to believe that you are gracious. If you ask the Lord to give you faith, if you ask the Lord to give you the gift of repentance, if you receive his grace, he will save you right now. He will do it. Father, I do pray for those who are thinking about that, who are maybe for the first time uh, thinking in their hearts, maybe I'm just not right with God, and that's the ultimate core of what's wrong with me and the world and the people I know. Lord, I pray you would be gracious in doing that. Now, Father, as we continue to worship you, we pray that the offering taken will be given from hearts that live for your glory, that have experienced your peace, and that know your grace. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.